The following sermon audio. The following sermon audio. The following sermon audio is a presentation of First International Baptist Church of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. Today we continue our sermon series of uh, the Covenant People, and so today I'm uh, going to begin by just asking you how interested you are in history. Um, funnily enough, I find that as I get older, I get more interested in history. Is there a connection? I'm not sure, exactly sure, but I remember the day when I was in university and a friend of mine was a major in history and I asked her, you know, why are you studying history? It's past. It's over with. Um, what good is it that uh, we study what's already happened? And um, as someone has once said, well, history is a guide to navigation in perilous times. History is who we are and why we are the way we are. So history is actually far more important than we would first think. And if you look at the history of the Israelites and uh, the biblical history, I don't think that First Chronicles is the first place you would go. I don't know how familiar you are with the book, and so today I'm going to give a, an introduction of it as well. And so today I might go a little longer than normal, but you came all this way and you might as well get all of your money and efforts worth. So we're going to introduce to you uh, First Chronicles because it provides for us the history that the Israelites needed to understand in the context of their situation at the time. And you and I as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, we share that common history with Israel. And so it would be helpful to learn the lessons that they learned from their history. Uh, there was uh, George Hegel, a German philosopher and inventor, who said that what experience and history teaches us is that people and governments have never learned anything from history or acted on principles deduced from it. Well, today, hopefully, you'll have a better understanding of First Chronicles and how it fits into the general story of the Bible. And I have a few slides to show you as well, and I hope that uh, you can follow along just in the introduction of it. But we're going to today um, also learn two very important things about God's faithfulness through our study of the book of First Chronicles and um, about the faithfulness of his people. And so to begin, I want you to know that, his, that Chronicles is the history of Israel's kings, beginning with David until the return from exile. So here's the slide about its context, that it begins with the genealogy, and the rest is a narration of David's reign as the king of Israel. Now, First Chronicles and Second Chronicles were originally one scroll, one book. And um, it was written after the Israelites had already spent 70 years in exile in Babylon. No author's name is mentioned, but Jewish tradition suggests that it was Ezra. We have a book in the Bible also titled by his name. But let me give you the history in very broad strokes. We begin with creation, of course. At the very beginning of the universe, when God first made the heavens and the earth. And then came the flood because of man's sin, where God rescued just one man, Noah, and his family, and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And then comes the story of Abraham, a descendant of Shem, and his son, Isaac, and then Jacob, and Jacob's son, Joseph, going to Egypt. Eventually, all of Israel is in Egypt, and then comes about 400 years of slavery, and 400 years of silence from God. And then comes the Exodus, and we've been through all of this throughout our series. Then comes the Exodus out of Egypt, and then wilderness wanderings, and then eventually Joshua is the one to lead them into the Promised Land. 
And you were following with us, I hope, through the time of the judges, when it was the judges that ruled, even though people were doing whatever was right in their own eyes. And then comes the time of the kings. And this is where we pick up the story in Chronicles. Except that the kingdom then lasts for a time until it divides. And then there's a northern kingdom called Israel and a southern kingdom called Judah. And then because of their disobedience to the Lord, Israel, that had no good kings, gets wiped out by Assyria. And Judah, which had a few good kings throughout its history, gets captured and exiled to Babylon. And it's during that time that they are exiled in Babylon that the prophets are speaking to the people of Israel. And that's where many of the prophets that we're going to cover much later fall in terms of time. But then, because of a decree by Cyrus, king of Persia, the Israelites are allowed to return to their land and to rebuild the temple and the city of Jerusalem. And this is the time that First Chronicles is written. It's written to those Israelites coming back from the Israel to give them a history of how they got there and what happened. Now, the approximate dates of David's reign, which is the, the, main, the major content in First Chronicles, is from 1011 B.C. to about 971 B.C., 40 years. And the purpose of Chronicles is this, and you can follow along, I hope the slide's up there, is to show the people who return from exile that they are the remnant of a chosen people, a people belonging to God, graciously elected and preserved to receive the fulfillment of his covenants. You see, those who are returning from exile would have been wondering why have we been held captive as foreigners in a foreign land? Why has God abandoned us? Where is our Messiah? What happened to our kingdom? What happened to our temple? Where is our God? And those who were returning needed encouragement because they were going to build Jerusalem again and restore the temple sacrifices. Remember that the glory of the kingdom of David, or under David was only a distant memory held by just a few of those who were coming back a memory of the older generation, and the joy of those golden years under David had faded. The promised land had been lost to the Gentiles. And so the emphasis in Chronicles is really the history of God's sovereign choice of Israel long before David first became king. And then it covers the rise and fall of David as king and the rise and fall of the good kings and bad kings until the exile into Babylon. And so First Chronicles begins with genealogies, starting all the way back to Adam, the first man. The first 10 chapters are that genealogy, significant names of those from Adam to David, including the tribes of Israel, and then the rest of the 29 chapters in 1 Chronicles provide details of David's rise and fall. Now, 2 Chronicles, which we'll get to later, then provides the details of Solomon's rise and fall in the first nine chapters until the kingdom is divided, and then you have the north and the south, southern kingdoms. So our sermon series... I hope that's the slide that's on next. Rooted in history is today. And then over the next three Sundays, we'll look at David part one, David part two, and of course, David part three. All right. And now the recurring theme is this, that Israel prospers when it is obedient to God and it comes under judgment when it is not. Here's the main idea that I want you to keep in mind for today as we look at First Chronicles and the beginning of it that the Lord is faithful to keep his covenants. He preserves his people. He fulfills his promises to David, promises of an eternal throne and a house of worship 
that will last through the ages. Now, I'm not going to read the entire first chapters to you, and you can say thank you later. But if you would turn with me to First Chronicles chapter 1, let me just give you a quick overview of how this theme is developed. First Chronicles chapter 1. Besides, I would probably stumble over, stumble over all these names. I can't even speak it in English, let alone in these Hebrew names here. But notice that chapter 1, verse 1 begins with Adam. The first 16 verses from Adam to Noah and Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The most significant of those three sons was Shem. And then verses 16 to 33 from Shem to Abram, later called Abraham. And Abraham's sons, Ishmael and Isaac. And of course, the most significant of those two is Isaac, the son of promise, the one born to Sarah who was barren, who was already uh, well up there in the years. And Isaac was the father of Esau and Jacob, and you'll see that genealogy in verse 34. The most significant of those two, of course, is Jacob, <clears throat> who was later named Israel. Remember that for the Israelites, the Lord, or Yahweh, was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So those are the most significant ones in their lineage. And Jacob was then, of course, the father of 12 sons, the most significant of whom was Judah, through whom came Jesse, who was the father of David, Israel's greatest king ever. So chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, you see David being the father of many sons, and most important of those sons was Solomon, succeeding him as king, followed then by his descendants, the kings of the tribe of Judah, starting with Rehoboam, and ending with Jehoiakim, who went into exile along with his descendants. And of course, there were other clans of Judah that were important, and there were other tribes of Israel that were also important. Their genealogies are also listed in chapters 4 through 8, along with some tidbits of historical notes and commentary. You can, take, uh, you can read those a little bit later. But a notable tribe that takes a greater treatment is a tribe of Levi. Now, Levi was the tribe of the priests. They didn't receive land. They received specific cities within the lands of their brothers. And they were the priests. And the Levites were also coming back from the exile and they were the ones who were supposed to restore the temple worship. And then in chapter 9, we see the story, or at least the ending of the life of Saul, the first king of Israel. So there's, of course, also his genealogy that's in there that receives a little bit more detailed mention in chapter 8. And then right before his uh, chapter 10, we have the account of his death. Now, here's the part that I want you to catch in terms of the theme here. The returning rem remnant, those who are still surviving of Israel, they are reminded that they had been in exile because they had been unfaithful. Turn in, in the First Chronicles chapter 9 to see exactly how the, the writer of Chronicles, whoever he was, includes then this commentary about their exile in chapter 9. Beginning in verse 1, all Israel was listed in the genealogies recorded in the book of the kings of Israel. And then it says the people of Judah were taken captive to Babylon because of their unfaithfulness. And then right before the history of David's ascent to the throne, look in chapter 10. That's all about how Saul dies in that last battle. And in verse 13 it says, Saul died because he was unfaithful to the Lord. He did not keep the word of the Lord, 
and even consulted a medium for guidance and did not inquire of the Lord. So the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, son of Jesse. So the writer is already giving us a clue of what he's trying to express to those who were the first audience of this book. That the reason they were coming back from exile was because they had been unfaithful and their kings had been unfaithful. You know, Saul's situation is one where you would ask, who really killed Saul? Was it the Philistines in that last battle that gave him that blow of, that, uh, that wounding blow that he couldn't recover from? Or was it Saul himself because he didn't want to let them have killed him? He tried to uh, have his own armor bearer kill him. In the end, he decided to fall on his own sword. Or was it the Lord that killed him? Well, the answer to that question is yes, really. But it details for us that all of these historical events, as they unfold, it is the sovereign God, Jehovah, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who is intimately involved in bringing about his plans in history and his desires for them as his covenant people. And what the rest of Chronicles informs us is this, and this is the lesson I believe we can learn today, is that when the Lord's people are unfaithful to him, then they can expect to be disciplined and pursued by him. You see, the Lord's covenant with his people was really terms of a relationship. Go back to Abraham and you see how God called Abraham out of the land of Ur and promised him a posterity of many descendants, showing him the stars and said, as many as you can see of the stars, so shall your descendants be. Now the problem was that Abraham was well up there in the years and so was his wife. And when God asked him to leave a land that he was familiar with, he didn't know where he was going. But the Bible says that Abraham, or Abram at the time, believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So he believed the Lord at a time when his, Sarah was well, his wife Sarah was well beyond childbearing years, and then just as the Lord promised, Sarah gave birth to a boy they named Isaac. See, Abraham believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises, even though he was asked to sacrifice Isaac later. His, first, his, only, his, his beloved son, the one that he considered so precious that he was not supposed to withhold. And then God appeared to Isaac. I will bless you and increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. And then when Israel's descendants had spent 400 years in Egypt, then God used Moses to lead them out. And he said to them before he gave the covenant, he said, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So when he gave them the covenant, these were the terms of their relationship. They would be a special people. He would be their God. And that's also why we've titled this series The Covenant People. It tells us the history of God's people throughout the history of the world beginning with Adam. See, God, imagine this, that the Lord, the creator of the heavens and the earth, would choose among all the people the tribe called Israel, a people called Israel, and said to them, Know therefore the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations, to those who love him and keep his commands. 
This covenant was all about a love relationship between God and human beings. And it's just like a husband and wife relationship should be. It is a commitment to one another where both parties would be faithful to one another and not seek after someone else to become a partner with. So when Israel was unfaithful to the covenant, well, of course, the Lord had to do something about it. And what he did about it was he disciplined them. He corrected them. And this is where the, the relationship of a husband and wife is different. How is it different? Well, because with the Lord, he is a holy, righteous, and just God. And the terms of his covenant revealed to Israel was the terms that reflected his own character. So his people were supposed to be a reflection of who he is in their actions and their behavior, the way they treated other people. They were to reflect him to a sinful world. And so when they were unfaithful, he had to correct them. Because the laws were a moral standard of right and wrong, they were universal truths, but they weren't just based on a whim. They weren't just desires and pleasures of the Lord. They were his character, his person, who he is, and what he's capable of. And so when they were unfaithful, the Lord disciplined them, and he pursued them. He used the influence of other nations around them to bring them back to him. Because when they would succumb to the influence of other nations and begin to worship their gods and bow down to them and serve them, then God would overcome them with those nations. Because they would pursue those temporary pleasures that come from sinful behavior, they would violate the moral standards for sexual activity, for the treatment of others, for the pursuit of wealth. And in doing so, they were simply expressing a lack of faith. They didn't believe in the power of the Lord. They didn't believe in his loving faithfulness. If they would work on the Sabbath rest days and till the land on the Sabbath years and make alliances with neighboring countries, they were saying, we don't trust that you can provide for us. When they would show contempt for the Lord's sacrifices, bringing less than their tithe or bringing the sickly and wounded animals, treating the, the sacred items as common, they were showing contempt for his character, his holiness and his purity. And God had warned them. He had promised them, obey me and I will bless you, but disobey me and I will send curses upon you, crop failures and confusion and enemies, diseases so that your wayward behavior would be corrected. And this is because he loved them. He sent them prophets, bringing warnings, speaking words of comfort, wooing them back and inviting them into a right relationship with him. This is the character of the Lord. And I believe that today, we are the people of the new covenant. Let me remind you that the old covenant was never able to free us from the power of sin and give us life. And that's why Paul was saying that it is powerless to set us free from sin and death because it is weakened by the sinful nature. So it was necessary then for a new covenant to be made. See, does it mean that the law or the first covenant was bad or sinful and that it drew out the fact that we were sinners? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because Paul specifically answered it in Romans 7, 7. He says, certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. And since no one could be made righteous by following all of the terms of the law, a new covenant was necessary. A revelation of Christ as the righteousness, not the righteousness that was given in the law. And this new covenant was promised to Israel 
because they had failed to faithfully uphold the terms of the first covenant. Through the prophet Jeremiah, he says, a time is coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. So a new covenant was necessary, and it turned out that God had planned all along for this new covenant to include not only Israelites, but Gentiles, people from all around the world, including, yes, many generations later, you and me. We are today the people of the new covenant, all of us who are in Christ, bought by his blood, ratified by that covenant, we are the people of the new covenant. And as the people of God today, just like Israel could expect, the church should expect that if we as Christians are unfaithful to the Lord, then he will most certainly discipline us and pursue us because it says in Hebrews chapter 12, 6, the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. And it's interesting that the same warnings given to the people of Israel are the warnings that the New Testament writers use to warn the Christians. Be imitators of God, we're told. Be holy as the Lord your God is holy are the same commandments to us as they were to the Israelites. And like the Israelites, who were a peculiar people, different from the nations around them because the Lord was their God, the church is a peculiar people, not necessarily in outward appearance or in dress, but in how our behavior is, what our character is. And just like the people of Israel, we are to reflect God's character, imitating him, treating people as he would treat people. And so if the church is unfaithful to its Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, then friends, we can expect that God will bring discipline to correct us. He will pursue us, calling upon us to repent and to return to him. And so the church must not conform to the standards of the rest of the world, the standards of sexual morality that the world holds. The church must not redefine marriage between husband and wife, whichever definition the world chooses. The church must not conduct itself by the same unrighteous business principles and practices that the world operates by. The church must not trade the truth for a lie like so many people of the world have done. Followers of Jesus Christ, like you and I, are not of the world, even as Christ is not of the world. And so if the Israelites were to learn from their history of unfaithfulness to the Lord, I believe we as a church can equally learn from the unfaithfulness to the Lord of Israel that we should not become like them. The same warnings are given to us in the New Testament as they were given to the Old Testament covenant people. They were reminded here in First Chronicles how they had been unfaithful to the Lord's covenant. And we as a church have a shared history with them. It would behoove us to know the covenant that is rooted in history and to learn from it so that if we are ever unfaithful in our relationship to the Lord, then we will expect the discipline and his loving pursuit. And the exciting thing is this, is no matter how unfaithful the people of the Old Covenant were, God was always faithful. And that's the second lesson I think we should learn today. Because we see again and again that God's people had been unfaithful to him. We have seen since Christ that God's people have been again and again unfaithful to him. From the wanderings in the wilderness to the times of the judges, throughout the times of the kings, Israel's faithfulness to the covenant wavered. 
There were times when everyone did what was right in their own eyes instead of following the terms of the covenant, instead of bringing to the Lord the sacrifices. But then they would be corrected and disciplined and return to the Lord and reinstate those sacrifices and feasts and observations, and then they would prosper once again. Because God's faithfulness never wavers. His love for his people, his grace, his mercy, expressed through his love and correction, his relentless pursuit, and his forgiveness of their sins, along with the blessings for their obedience. Remember how God promised Abraham a great many descendants and a land to which, in which he would prosper. How long did it take for that to actually be fulfilled? It wasn't four, until 400 years later, after slavery in Egypt. So God's timing isn't quite like our timing, but God is always faithful to his promises. It seemed like they would never make it to the promised land. But they did cross the Jordan, and God did fight their battles for them, and they did receive the promised land. God promised David an eternal throne, as we're going to see a little bit later in this series. And then while they were in exile, they were probably wondering, okay, God, where is that eternal throne? I thought we were supposed to be the ones ruling over the nations. Because they had been unfaithful and they had been far from him, he sent prophet after prophet until finally he sent his own son. Born in the genealogical line of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, and David. Once again, the genealogy in First Chronicles is important to us because our own Lord and Savior comes from that line. But God's people sent him to the cross. And just when it seemed like his promise of a throne and a kingdom could no longer be fulfilled, it turns out that it was through his son's death that his eternal plan would continue to unfold and a new covenant that included Israelites and Gentiles as one people of God would be ratified in his blood. So many, many, many times in history since then, it seems as though God has neglected his promise to his people. Many of us may still wonder, okay, Lord, when are you returning for us? But remember that with God, a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is but a day. God remains faithful to all of his promises, even when his people waver in their faithfulness. Now, let's remember also that God is always looking for people who will be faithful to him. Throughout history, he's been looking for people who will exercise faith and trust him. People who believe what he says, even if it goes against our common sense or public opinion or the advice of others. People who will trust him even though there may be circumstances that would cause us to doubt him. People who will do what he asks of us, even if it's less convenient or incites ridicule or mocking. We patiently wait for the blessings of obedience because we trust him. And when he decides that they should come later or that they should come when this life is over, will, be, will we be the ones that say, yes, Lord, I still trust you. I will remain faithful. And there will always be those among us who will waver in our faith. Yes, even us could waver in our faith. But let's know this, that he remains faithful. He waits for us to repent, to return to him, so that we can rebuild our lives according to his will. And you know what? There's only one action we have left. If we have been the ones that have been unfaithful, there's only one thing to do. Repent and return to him. Maybe you've never known the Lord personally. Maybe you're here and you've never confessed your sins and never asked for forgiveness. Well, today you have the opportunity to respond to the good news that yes, you too can be forgiven of your sins. The Lord wants you to be among his people as well.
He's been revealing himself throughout history, working through history since the foundation of the universe, and today it has been revealed to you that Jesus is the Christ and that in him you can have eternal life. But maybe you know the Lord personally, and for the longest time you've been unfaithful to him, wavering in your faithfulness and obedience. You've been through this period of drought and disobedience. Today is your opportunity. Those hardships you've been enduring, just maybe those are his discipline. Maybe that's his correction, asking you to repent of your waywardness and return to him. This has been a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. To listen to more sermon podcasts or to learn more about FIBC, please visit www.fibc.dk or facebook.com forward slash FIBC CPH. Thank you for listening.